Welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast, a monthly show where we pick a visual novel, play it, and then discuss it amongst the cast. I'm the host, Jennifer Uncle, and uh, joining me as always is uh, Six Detmar from Scanline Media. We don't usually use seatbelts for podcasts, but I think it might be appropriate here. <laughs> Probably, yes. And uh, M from Abnormal Mapping. Hello. Hi. Okay, so today we're going to be discussing um, Danganronpa 3, V3, Killing Harmony, which came out in 2017 um, on PS4, Vita, PC, um, written as always by Kazutaka Kodaka, and uh, it's the, it's the fourth main, it's the fourth proper game within the series, essentially. And fifth thing, chrono- chronologically, story-wise. So... Is it fifth or sixth? Uh, let me see. Oh, I guess it would be... I, would, I guess it would be sixth, yeah. Because there was the spin-off game and then the anime. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, why don't we start talking about our... Let's talk about where we were with Danganronpa before we played V3, essentially. Why don't we start with uh, you, Six? <laughs> uh, okay, sure. We can start off on that note, if you like. Um, so my experience was as um, a person who used to be a lot shittier uh, and sometimes was on the Something Awful forums. I never posted, but I just sort of kept a lookout, and I would read uh, screenshot uh, Let's Plays on there. And that is where I was first exposed to Danganronpa, because there were um, some screenshots LP, uh, whew, some screenshot LPs of 1 and 2, that were done by someone who'd like picked them up while in Japan, um, and localized them themselves, and did a uh, a you know localization LP, uh, all screenshots, and that was my experience with one and two. I dropped off uh, halfway through the LP of two because I wasn't enjoying it very much. But um, yeah, that was my experience with Danganronpa up until now. Okay, and um, how about you, M? Uh, so I got into Danganronpa when it released in America on the uh, Vita. Um, I had never heard of it before. I knew that it existed uh, because I was into uh, 99 and I guess VLR. I don't remember the timeline of that. But anyway, people were like, if you like 99, you should play Danganronpa. It's like that, but it's got like murder shit in it, um, which I guess kind of 99 does too. But more explicitly, it is about kids murdering each other in a ridiculous contrived horror setting, which uh, sounded fine to me because um, I enjoy horror quite a bit. Uh and so I picked up the first game, played it, enjoyed it quite a bit, picked up the second game, played it, enjoyed it even more. And um, that was kind of it. I I looked up V3 when it came out because I'm much busier these days than when those came out. And uh, like people were very mad about it and I, w- I wanted to know why. And so I read the ending and only half remembered it. And I was like, OK, this sounded cool, but I don't think I'm ever going to play it. Uh, and instead, now I, I, I've played it. I played it. I didn't watch the anime. I didn't play Ultra Despair Girls. I love myself. I won't do that. Um, <laughs> but that's it. I, I would call myself a Danganronpa fan with caveats. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So I pretty much picked up the Vita release in 2015, like a year after it launched uh, for the first game. Played through it. Enjoyed it a lot. Around the time that the second one got its US release... I hit a wall with it around case four and because 
case four is kind of a long dragged out mess, and I wasn't sure whether they were the, whether I was ever going to find a reason to enjoy the game after I was playing through that. But then last year I heard about V three coming out, so I was like, I'm going to give two another shot. And once I did that, it kind of became a gigantic ball rolling for me where I loved two as soon as I got past case four, because the way that that game ends is pretty incredible. And then from there, I do not love myself as much as M does. So I went through Ultra Despair Girls. I watched through the adaptation of the first game, the anime adaptation. I watched through three, The End of Hope's Peak. And then, after all that, started on V3. So yeah, I. out of everyone here, I'm probably the most attached to Danganronpa with all its positive elements and its many faults. Uh, one thing I was hoping to do with this podcast, since we're covering the last game, we should probably like summarize all the other games. Hopefully we did. We planned to do this two weeks ago and we all have summaries. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, start us off with the first game? All right. Um, just for people who want to like play Danganronpa, like maybe go do that. We're going to spoil the hell out of all this going forward. Like we're just going to talk about everything leading up to V3. Um, Include and then V three, so spoiler warnings here. I guess I normally I don't feel like we need those, but like these are three twenty to thirty hour games we're going to talk about. There's a lot of going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc uh, was the first game. It was developed by Spike Chunsoft. It was released on the PSP in 2010. Uh, it made its way to America on the Vita in 2014. In it, you play as Makoto Negi, uh, one of the ultimate students at the prestigious Hope Speak Academy, where students with ultimate talents are accepted and nurtured. Makoto is the ultimate lucky student who was chosen by a raffle and has no other talent other than he was selected to be there. On his arrival at the school, he passes out and wakes up locked inside a school with 15 other ultimate students and an evil remote-controlled bear named Monokuma, who tells them they're part of a killing game where students will be granted freedom if they can kill another student and get away with it during a class trial. If they're found out during that trial, however, they will be executed. If they can get away successfully, everyone else will die. You know how this goes. As murders begin and continue, Makoto teams up with Kyoko Kirigiri, a mysterious girl who doesn't remember her talent, and they root out the guilty party of each of several trials. Uh, the most infamous case, I feel like, for the discourse in Danganronpa 1 is the second trial, in which the murdered student is Chihiro Fujisaki, the ultimate programmer, who is revealed in the trial to be a trans girl who was murdered for telling someone that she was a trans girl. Uh, this whole thing is presented really poorly, and it sucks, but it's relevant in that... In the uh, matter of the case, it you find out that she leaves an AI program of herself to communicate with the other students that is important to the plot. Uh, as the class dwindles, Makoto is eventually found guilty of not accusing Kyoto uh, of a crime when she seems to be the obvious murder in the penultimate trial. He is sentenced to death, only to have his execution interrupted by a program placed in the school's computer system by Chihiro. Uh, he's then confronted by Kyoko, who reveals herself as the ultimate detective who has been working undercover to root out whoever is controlling Monokuma. That person turns out to be Junko Enoshimo, the ultimate fashionista, who sent her twin sister in to pose as her and then killed her at the very start of the killing game. Junko is in reality the ultimate despair, a rapidly changing facade of personalities who exists in a state of constant boredom and a statistic need to spread her despair to others through the machinations like the killing game. 
Junko reveals that the Ultimates just didn't show up to school to end the killing game, but are instead were classmates for several years. At some point in the past, an apocalyptic event happened and caused by a group referred to as the Ultimate Despair, and the Hope's Peak students barricaded themselves inside the school to wait out the collapse of society. Unfortunately, Junko was an undercover member of the Ultimate Despair, and she wiped everyone's memories and created the killing game to broadcast it to the world and show that the Ultimates can fall to despair, and thus everyone else should fall to despair. Her plan obviously has been thwarted by the surviving heroes, and Junko kills herself and leaves the Ultimates to head out into an unknown world, leaving them to make the choice of whether they want to risk going out into the world gripped by despair, versus their hopeful insistence that the world couldn't be as bad as she claimed, and that even if it was, they could do something about it. The game ends with their fates uncertain as they leave the school. Alright, so uh, I'll go ahead into Danganronpa 2. I just realized I I gave myself three summaries to read out, but uh, it should be okay. Let's see. Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. In Danganronpa 2, you play Hajime Hinata, a fresh Hope Speak student who can't seem to remember what his ultimate talent is. He and the rest of his new classmates lose consciousness after stepping over the threshold into the school. Upon waking up, Usami, a small rabbit-like mascot, whisks them away to a field trip to Jabberwock Island, where they will remain until they form sufficiently strong bonds of friendship. However, Monokuma makes an entrance, usurps Usami's power, then announces the students are stuck on the island for life unless they participate in the killing game. A white-haired wretch by the name of Nakito Komaeda proves to be a frequent problem. He's always searching for the most hopeful outcome, even if it means leading everyone to certain death or offering himself as a victim. Midway through the game, his mood suddenly sours. He disdainfully reveals Hajime wasn't an ultimate after all, just a normal person. Nagito later arranges his own death to reveal that Chiaki, one of of Hajime's closest friends on the island, was spying on the group the entire time. She and Usami are sent packing. Soon after the fifth case, the world starts glitching, and the group is led into a unique graduation trial. Through deduction and Monokuma's hints, the students soon realized they were living in a VR simulation called the Neo World Program all along, though their dead friends are now comatose. Confronting a gigantic digital Junko Enoshima during the final trial, they discover that they are none other than the remnants of despair, twisted by Junko to terrorize the world with their ultimate talents. However, Makoto Naegi and the Future Foundation intervened. While the Future Foundation sought to eliminate them entirely, Makoto and his surviving classmates threw them into the Neo World Program, intending to revert the despair that Junko had planted. Unfortunately, Junko took over the program, and she gives the students two choices. Graduate, and they'll retain their memories when they wake up, but Junko will insert herself into the bodies of all their comatose classmates. Reset will simply restart the whole program, bringing the remaining survivors back to square one. The group realizes there's a third option. Hitting graduate and reset at the same time will eject them from the Neo World program. Unfortunately, this will also erase the therapy they've received, reverting them to their former despair-ridden selves. The students decide to take their chances and do what's right, starting the eject sequence. Junko is once again destroyed, and the remaining students choose to stay on the real-life Jabberwock Island, nursing their companions back to health. Uh, if you want, I can read the Ultra Despair Girls one, since I you gave me a link to this. Uh, and then we have Danganronpa, another episode, Ultra Despair Girls. Uh, Ultra Despair Girls is a third-person survival horror shooter that takes place between Danganronpa 1 and 2. 
Komaru Negi, Makoto's little sister, has spent the last year imprisoned in an apartment complex in Toa City, kept as bait from the motivation videos in Danganronpa 1. After fleeing from a monokuma that breaks down her door, she runs into Byakuya Togami, who gives her a special hacking gun that can destroy or manipulate monokumas. However, Komaru's escape fails as the city is suddenly overrun by an entire swarm of monokumas, seemingly controlled by giggling children wearing monokuma masks. She's captured and placed to a cell with a servant, uh, this is Despair-era Nagato Komeda, Kamaro is brought before the Warriors of Hope, a group of children who want to create a perfect society by murdering every adult. They force Kamaro to join their demon hunting game and drop her into the city where she's saved by everyone's favorite author and serial killer from Danganronpa 1, Toko Fukawa, also known as Genocide Jack. Hearing that Byakuya disappeared and was possibly captured, Toko agrees to help Kamaro find a way out. Along the way, they encounter a resistance group run by Haji Toa and meet a white bear robot named Shirakuma who sees it as his duty to protect the adults from the children. Each warrior of hope Kamaro and Toko confront has a deep-seated reason for despising adults, all connected to the intense child abuse they received from their parents. Also, in addition to pr producing the air purifiers that helped remove the air's toxicity after the awful event of despair, Toa Group was secretly behind manufacturing of the Monokumas thanks to the adopted Monaka Toa. It is revealed that Nagito has been manipulating the demon hunting game behind Monaka's back to see if Makoto's talentless sister could become the symbol of hope by defeating Monaka. After confronting and killing Kurokuma, uh, the the black bear that's behind the kid's orders that doubles as... Oh, really? Okay, I did not write this one. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Kogurukuma is racist. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to talk about this. Uh, Monaka relinquishes control of her Monokuma controller, but it's a trap. Smashing the controller will make every Monokuma controller kid's head explode. This sends a video to the Future Foundation that would claim Kamaru is the new successor to Jinko Enoshima. At the last moment, Toko and Kamaru come together to defeat Monaka once and for all. The pair flee Byakuya, but commit themselves to remaining in Toa City, protecting the stragglers. Nagato saves Monaka from the debris she's trapped under, promising to make her even more like Junko than Junko ever was, in his gambit to watch Hope and Despair fight it out. Kura and Shirokuma are revealed to both be AI halves of Junko and Oshima, and Izuru Kamakura makes, takes their AI chips in preparation of Danganronpa 2. Uh, this game seems bad, Jen. <laughs> it's real bad, yeah. Uh... Do we want to talk about Kurokuma now or after we finish? Just a little bit, just a little bit, then we can move on. Okay, Please so... tell me about this game, because I didn't play it. I don't think most people did. So yeah, it's basically a survival horror shooter along the lines of Resident Evil. And the gist with the Warriors of Hope is all five of the children have history with parental abuse, and it's done in the most overhand... It's done in the most overbearing, terrible way ever. Like... One of the kids that was constantly beaten, his reveal for that is punching himself while screaming until his arm is completely battered and bruises. Um, there's another character that was sexually abused, and you are you have to play a minigame where you have to keep giant cartoon hands away from Kamaru Naegi. Um, and Kurokuma, the black bear, has chains, gold teeth, um, a fedora, a cigar... And, um, speaks in a sort of Brooklyn accent, but with a lot of slang and the idea, the way that they set him up to make Shirokuma look like the good person, even though she's also Junko Inoshima, is by having him be the black bear, which is what Kurokuma means. It's a gigantic mess. <laughs> that whole game is a... Ugh... Oh. I kind of wish I had never played it, to be honest. Oh, well, thankfully you did, so we can tell everyone what happens, <laughs> which seemingly is nothing. Uh, 
and we, we can just move on. All right. I'll go ahead and read out uh, Danganronpa 3, The End of Hope's Peak. This is an anime split into Future and Despair arcs. You're supposed to alternate between the two timelines when you're watching it, so you watch a Future arc, you watch a Despair arc, and it goes back and forth like that. In Future arc, Makoto Nayagi arrives at the Future Foundation's headquarters, only to be handcuffed for engaging in unsanctioned activities with his Jabberwock Island project. Not long after, the complex is invaded, and the 16 agents within are knocked out to start a all-new killing game. Unlike the others, this operates like Werewolf. After the wristbands hit zero, everyone falls asleep except for the hidden killer among them, who's free to move about and execute Foundation members as his heart desires. Many anime fight sequences follow, as friend turns against friend, and a select few are out to kill Makoto, convinced he's the remnant of despair who started all this. Meanwhile, in the Despair arc, we get to see the cast from 2 as their happy high school selves, while Hajime struggles with his life as a normal student at a prestigious academy. He soon gives into the school's research program, erasing his personality to create the cold but ultimate talented Izuru Kamakura. As the students go on several adventures, Chinuko Enoshima and her twin sister arrive, ready to do some damage. Teaming up with Ryota, a animator who utilizes subliminal messages to make his happy animation more well-received, and Azuru, they force a random 16-person class to kill each other overnight while filming the action. This footage, combined with Ryota's subliminal messages, is turned into a brainwashing video capable of throwing the average person into a despair-ridden frenzy. After their homeroom teacher is forcibly converted to despair, she leads an unaware Chiaki into a death chamber stylized like a roguelike video game. With the help of Ryota's brainwashing techniques, the rest of her class is forced to watch in real time as she gets sliced and battered trying to escape. They physically can't look away. After she is finally impaled to death, the entire class collapses in a collective yearning for despair, now acting as Junko's foot soldiers. Back in the future arc, the surviving future Foundation members deduce that the killer is actually the victims themselves, as all the wounds have a surgical, self-inflicted pattern, and they all died near one of the TV sets around the complex. To test this theory, Makoto volunteers to be tied up in front of one of the TVs. As the rest of the survivors fall asleep, he is woken by the TV slash wristband, which brainwashes him into a suicidal despair and dispenses a dagger. Another ultimate intervenes, preventing him from taking his own life. Ryota, horrified that his own tools were once again dis- deployed to hurt people, or as he says often, it's all because of my anime, <laughs> decides he's going to use a positive film to brainwash the populace into believing in hope instead. As the surviving members escape, Makoto insists this is a terrible idea because it will rob free will from everyone, but Ryota brainwashes all the incoming Future Foundation SWAT soldiers to hold the survivors at bay while he heads for the broadcast tower. At the last moment, the students from 2 ride in from a commandeered ship, convincing their classmate Ryota to stand down. The former remnants act like villains in a staged broadcast one last time to hide how compromised Future Foundation became, and Makoto reopens Hope's Peak as its headmaster. And that's the gist of everything before V3. Uh, this seems uh, marginal, <laughs> I feel like. Also, it doesn't sound like Danganronpa much from the way you describe it. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things like a ultimate uh, nurse, essentially, or ultimate chemist, using her medication to hulk out and attack people, and a lot of katanas and various weapons... It's much more focused on people being angry at each other and trying to 
kill each other, but not secretly like they do in most Danganronpa stories. I I get the ambition behind trying to create both a sequel and a prequel at once. That's kind of a impressive thing to shoot for, but the thing is, if you put all your character development into one half and expect it to carry the other, it turns into a gigantic mess. We also have uh, Danganronpa 2.5, which uh, originally we had a summary for, but uh, me and Jen looked at it and it was like, this is actually like even even more irrelevant to anything that's happening in Danganronpa. It's just it's just so it's so side story that it was like, okay, what we're is not that? Even I don't I don't I'd never heard of it until you mentioned. It's it. just it's just like what is it? It's just like uh, uh, Nagito is in a VR simulation. No, but is it like, is it a game? Is it a manga? Like what is it? Oh, it's a thirty minute OVA essentially. Okay, yeah, it basically takes place while Nagito is in a coma and it's about them breaking him out of his coma. Okay, great. That sounds like a totally nothing I should ever look at. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun if you like two, but that's about it, really. Um, I love two. Two is a very good story that is self-contained and does not need a bunch of spin-off sequels. <laughs> very good point. Uh, I guess that just leaves V3, which I have a full summary of before we get into talking about the game, because we might as well just let people know what the game's about before we talk about it. Because otherwise we'll be referring to things without context. So if everybody's ready, I will get in to the meat and potatoes of this. All right. Sounds good. Go for it. Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony is the third Danganronpa game, despite what you might have heard in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, in this game, you awaken as Keide Akamatsu, a normal high school student who is captured in a strange rundown academy swarming with giant robots. You gather in the gym with 15 other similarly normal students, only to be confronted by five monocubs who flash everyone's memory and reset them back, saying that nobody was ready for the game to begin. When Kade awakens this time, she is the ultimate pianist, dressed in a typically outrageous Danganronpa fashion, and meets up with the ultimate detective, Shuichi Saihara. Uh, everyone gets together, everyone is an ultimate now, and once again, we are explained that they are in the killing game. Uh, Monokuma explains the usual plot, uh, but then it offers the twist. This time, the school is underneath a large dome, a sealed environment with green spaces and other buildings. It is patrolled by the Exostoles, the giant robots being controlled by the Monocubs. Here is where the game will take place. But there is a caveat. There is a two-day time limit to begin with to encourage getting off on the right foot with the first murder. Suichi and Kaede decide that there must be someone controlling Monokuma when they discover a secret door when exploring the grounds, and they set a trap to find the mastermind before the two-day time limit. Kaede, however, alters the trap to kill the mastermind instead of simply identifying them, and becomes the first murderer when the trap turns out to kill Rantaro Amani, a student who seemingly didn't even remember his ultimate talent. This all comes out in the first trial, and the game shifts perspective from you playing as Kaede to you playing as Shuichi when the truth comes to light and Kaede is executed. Shuichi then bonds with the other two students in the aftermath of Kaede's death, Kaito Momoda, the ultimate astronaut, and Maki Harukawa, the ultimate assassin. The three of them work to solve the subsequent murders, though they are often frustrated by both a cult created by the ultimate artist, Anji Yonaga, and the efforts of the ultimate supreme leader, Kokichi Oma, a self-identified evil genius who mostly seems to be a compulsive liar and generally a shitty kid, who often helps Shuichi find out the truth because he's so incapable of ever stating the truth uh, that his lies reveal more than his actual truth would. Each chapter, the students are given a flashback light, an object that reawakens some of their memories and explains that they were new students at a reopened Hope's Peak Academy that existed after the Great Despair, but before an event where meteors struck the Earth and destroyed most of the existing population before spreading a virus that threatened to wipe out what was left. 
Kokichi is the first uh, is the first to deduce the truth from these flashback lights that they are all on a arc spaceship that was sent out as humanity's last hope, and he then claims to be the mastermind behind the games and to have commandeered the ship and brought them back to Earth as a wasteland to kill them in a final act of fatalism. He then kidnaps a sick with the space virus, uh, Kaito. Everyone aims to rescue Kaito from Kokichi, but in breaking into the place where they are holed up, they find an unidentifiable corpse and a mysterious person locked inside an exostole who identifies himself as Kokichi, but is nebulously either Kokichi or Kaito. Because of the circumstances of the murder, even Monokuma doesn't know who was killed or who did the killing between K Kaito and Kokichi. In the trial, it comes out that Kokichi was lying about being a mastermind, but was instead creating the perfect trick murder that couldn't be solved, causing the killing game to be rendered forfeit. To do so, he sacrificed himself and had Kaito agree to kill him and then pretend to be him in order to upset the trial. Shuichi, however, ferrets out the truth, as the ultimate detective should, only for Kaito to die of the virus before he can be punished, sending Monokuma into a rage. Uh, Kibo, the ultimate robot, decides during the death of Kaito to destroy the school instead of continue the game and gives the survivors one night to gather enough information to find out who their real mastermind is before he blows it all up. In investigating, Shuichi learns that the flashback lights aren't revealing their memories, but are instead implanting false ones when he stumbles across a hidden flashback light machine hidden in a classroom. Also, they learn Rantaro did indeed know his ultimate talent, as he was the ultimate survivor, the winner of a past-killing game who came in with extra knowledge about what was going on on the school grounds. This information in hand, Shuichi stops the destruction of the school to call a final class trial, the retrial of Rantaro's murder accusing Monokuma of framing Kaede in order to kill this special ultimate survivor himself. During the trial, the unassuming cos ultimate cosplayer Samugi Shiragane is identified as being the only person who could possibly be the mastermind. Uh, she agrees to all of these accusations and reappears as Junko Enoshima, cosplaying as the ultimate despair resurrected. When Shuichi mentions the character quirk that Samugi can't actually cosplay real people because of a nervous reaction, it opens up the thematic floor when Samugi reveals the truth. She can be Junko Inoshima because Junko Inoshima isn't real. In fact, everything about Hope's Peak and Monokuma and the killing game aren't real per se, but are instead part of a long-running reality TV show named Danganronpa, where people sign up to get their minds wiped and rewritten to become broad characters in a very lethal killing game meant to entertain the masses and keep the world at peace. Tsumugi goes on to explain that this is the very nature of Danganronpa, a horror subjected on teens for entertainment, trying to give people hope by showing them despair. This is, in fact, the 53rd Danganronpa, as the title V3 is actually a stylization that stands for 5-3. Everyone is also, it is revealed, a normal person who agreed to have their memory wiped to compete because they were such big fans of previous seasons of the show. Even if they were let out, they couldn't be turned back to the people they were, and there is no reality to their backstories or personalities, so there's nothing for them to go home to. Furthermore, Kibo is revealed to be the audience surrogate on the show, a character who is having the will of the people watching in aggregate filtered into him as a sort of conscious program. He's built to be the ultimate hope robot who will destroy Samugi and end the killing game for another season, but, they, but in doing so, they'll have to choose two students to go on to compete in the next season. The other option is for Kibo to lose as everyone votes for despair, and the killing game will continue as it always does until there's only two people left. Realizing the no-win scenario, Shuichi convinces the other survivors to abstain from voting, rejecting the game outright as unfair and refusing to participate in their manipulation and deaths for the enjoyment of the audience. Kibo is hacked into being the direct audience surrogate, however, in order to force his vote against Samugi. This conduit goes both ways, however, as Shuichi is able to use the conduit uh, to directly plead to the viewers to stop Danganronpa forever as a cruel thing to participate in and to enjoy watching. The vote seems up in the air, but in the end, Kibo abstains as the viewers have given up on Danganronpa as not a very fun thing to watch anymore as they are being appealed to directly. Left with no game to play, Kibo destroys the school and seemingly everyone surviving, er, surviving in it, rendering all of Danganronpa destroyed in this big finale. 
Kibo then self-destructs, blowing open the glass dome, which reveals not a wasteland of Earth behind the dome, but an unknown world where people are tuning out of the killing game and into a new way of life. Out of the rubble climb the remaining survivors, Shuichi, the ultimate assassin Maki, and the ultimate magician Himiko, and together they consider whether what Sumugi told them about the games going on was actually true and whether they have pasts when everything in they've encountered so far seems so built on lies. They all head out to the hole between this constructed world and whatever exists on the other side as the game comes to an end. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty solid summary of everything that happened within that. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on. This game's really long. One For one thing, we have not played a game that is this long. This was legitimately like 30 hours long. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I finished this game on Thursday. <laughs> um and I started it pretty soon. I, I mean like I took a lot of a lot of breaks um cuz I was having a hard time with it. Um and then on Thursday I was just like, okay, I need to get this done and played 6 hours straight of it. So. Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, I finished within the first week or two after we announced it and uh had to sit on my thumbs for most of the time not being able to discuss any of it. <laughs> Um, so how does everyone feel about Danganronpa V3? Jen, why don't you go first this time? <laughs> okay, yeah, might as well, since I feel like I already know both of your answers. I really, I really enjoyed it. Like, there are definite parts within it that were uncomfortable to just plain bad, but I liked most of the characters. I really appreciated the way that Case 3 is, has a bunch of moving parts that go in some interesting directions, some of them not so much. And I'm kind of a sucker for Kokichi Oma's whole thing, like the way that he's able to effortlessly deter... I mean, he's effortlessly able to send conversations off the rails or create elaborate setups where he... Essentially, Case 4 is all him separating Shuichi from the rest of the group and essentially making Shuichi complicit in taking out one of their friends. And that was a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> and yeah, overall, it could, probably could have been a bit shorter. And I feel like some of the themes, like this whole game is presented with a casino theme, Dengen Vegas, essentially. And they only use that for a few visual touches, and there's also a casino that you can spend fake money on. But overall, there's not really an element of gambling or anything like that. It's mostly it's mostly their complex way of sending off a series that everyone involved seems like they're slightly tired of making. Like, making it Danganronpa 53 is their way of going. Okay, I think we've had enough of doing this for now. Please let us stop. And, well, part of me, since I really enjoyed my time, would love to see more Danganronpa. I also really respect the choice of being like, we're going to stop here and we're going to do something else. And we hope that you're okay with it. And I wish more, I wish more games had, I wish more creators put a self-destruct button in some of their fiction sometimes just to be like, okay, no, this is done for now. In, mm -hmm. Until someone inevitably does a reboot or something five or ten years later. <laughs> so, Em, if I can be so bold, I think you should go last because your opinion is the one that I think is up in the air. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to suggest you go first. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I didn't like it. Um, 
it, it's kind of weird for me because it's like this is my first time playing a Danganronpa game. This is my first time seeing a Danganronpa game like in video, not just in stills. And so there's a lot that actually was really effective for me. I thought the music was great. I thought the presentation was really effective. And the gameplay, like, reading that screenshot LP of the first one, and you just see, like, these out-of-context screenshots of, like, a crosshair and words. And the subtitle would be like, this is the court stuff. It's really fun. And you're like, uh-huh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of the gameplay around the trials is actually really cool. And I was really impressed. I have problems with it, too. But overall, I thought it was really neat and a really good spin on the sort of like the court, you know, trial stuff that's in visual novels sometimes. Um, but overall, I dislike the characters a lot. I really dislike the tone of the game. I think the ending was really like brave and I appreciate their commitment to it. But like overall, I did not like this game. Uh, okay, so I guess I have to be like the decider here, which is complicated because <laughs> my feelings on this game are complicated because they kind of encompass all of Danganronpa as a thing, but extra because this game is entirely extra. Um, I, Danganronpa is a weird thing in that it has a reputation for being like a, like a weird horror thing where people who like horror like me enjoy it because I like the ridiculous kills. I like the idea of like murder games in which we are trying to determine who the like murder is and there's like a weird twist in every case and it's like phoenix Wright meets saw and i find that like really entertaining it's very ridiculous uh on the other level danganronpa is like a comedy game that tries to be like cute with its characters and everyone's an extreme like amalgam of uh of tropes and characterizations that are very broad and very ridiculous and I feel like that only gets heightened by the fact that the localization leans into internet humor because these are games that are internet famous for a certain type of person. And this game is the worst of all about that stuff. There is some really gross shit that we will probably talk about in this game, specifically mostly around one character, but kind of just all over the place, honestly, um, mm -hmm. that I find incredibly off-putting. Um, I appreciate the fact that this is a Danganronpa game about the fact that the fandom of Danganronpa doesn't seem to do a whole lot of self-reflection on the fact that they really enjoy watching these teens suffer and die for their entertainment. Uh, and that the weird, like, hope will always triumph over despair doesn't mean much when there's another game in two years about 16 other kids murdering each other. Like, the very thematic material that the games grapple with are undercut by the fact that there are more of these games, right? Like, you can't have the eternal battle of hope and despair, like, to be decided only to just reboot it the next time with another scenario that asks the same question. Um mm -hmm there's something very morally bankrupt about this. And the game leans into that really hard by accusing the very audience of being a thing that sustains this suffering. And even if these fictional characters are fictional, it's weird to want to watch like teenagers be tortured and murdered, right? Like that's a fucked up thing to want. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's okay for them to grapple with that and be like, we're tired of making this. This is a weird thing to make. Um, it's difficult. Let's just blow it all up. Uh, but on the whole, I think the game itself is like gross too far. And it takes a long time, basically, for the really gross, like, overly sexualized characters to die off the, for the game to get good. And I find that it's not worth the last five hours that I really loved if I had to go through 25 that I really despised. Um, and so I think I'm pretty negative on this. Like, it's definitely the worst Danganronpa to me, even if I think the ending is maybe the best ending of all three of these. Um, and I really like Danganronpa 2. Uh so, like, it, it leaves me very conflicted about the whole thing. Um, I think this game's probably bad. I think it's... <laughs> like, it is fun to play, more or less. It's too long, but part of that is playing games for podcast. Um, 
but it's also just a it's just a real bummer. Like it makes me feel gross to play and grapple with the things that are in it sometimes and not the intentional stuff about the murder games, whatever. I watch a lot of horror movies. That doesn't bother me. It's mm-hmm. the way in which it presents characters that are supposed to be cute or funny or like sexy as like normalized things that are not, they're really messed up. Yeah. And like speaking as a person who's not as, as into horror as you two. In fact, I, you know what, let's not waffle our language. I really don't like horror. Um, and like, so for me, at a lot of times it kind of felt like there was no reprieve. It was like, like when they did punishments, I walked out of the room when like, I didn't like, I liked there, there were so few parts of the game that spoke to me. I thought like the, like the mechanics of like the arguments during trials and stuff were fun, but it's like, okay, I don't like these characters and their personalities. I don't like this game's sense of humor. I don't like its obsession with the macabre. I don't like any of this. So. Uh- yeah, uh, so I don't typically have a problem with the executions. I, I know that's a common complaint, especially from people who are not particularly horror people. Um, that's probably a broader conversation than this podcast can contain because it's about like the yeah. way people respond to and like accept horror as just a broad genre of fiction, especially stuff that's like slashery or murder contraptiony, uh, like 80s stuff or Final Destination or whatever. Um, sure. I think this game really opens up with a wrong foot on that in that the first murder of Kaede is one, the player character up to that point, um, which is a twofold problem in that once again, or not once again, but the first playable female protagonist is murdered so you can be a boring guy again. And that sucks. That sucks a lot, just generally. Mm -hmm. But also she's like, she's like hung and is like dangled over a giant piano because she's the ultimate musician and like it hits the keys or whatever. But uh, hanging Japanese teenagers is a fucked up image because that's a real problem. And it's not like someone is like sent to the moon and dies of exposure or whatever, which is one of the other ones or any of the other ridiculous things that happen. This is like a real thing teenagers do all the time. And that imagery probably doesn't belong in Danganronpa. Yeah. Overall, the best, uh, <laughs> the best executions throughout the series have been incredibly cartoonish and has to do something with their ultimate trait like in Danganronpa 2 the very first death terror tarot he's airlifted by a helicopter into a gigantic broth batter and is basically cooked in several ways but in a very bloodless cartoonish way and for the most part especially the first two I'd also say that uh, the ultimate maid's death in this one is a bit grim a lot of cuts and just hanging on for dear life in a way. But, um, yeah, a lot of them kind of get away from the playfulness that the other deaths have had. Um, except for the fifth one, which I think is kind of clever. It's a callback to the very first death sequence you watch in Danganronpa 1, where someone gets put in a rocket and shot through a cartoonish moon situation. This time it happens upside down, and before... He actually dies by Monokuma's intended method. Kaito ends up expiring due to the disease that he's had this whole time. And that that sort of... I mean, that sequence was the first time that I actually cognizantly realized, okay, they're actually going to... They're going to end this in a certain way that more or less cap puts a cap on things. And that's the only death that is actually... Well, aside from the sixth one, which is just a bunch of everything falling down on everyone. 
Um, that's the only one that really gets to the same level of cartoonishness that the other ones in the past have had. Though I guess Gonta being stung to death by a bunch of bees is pretty cartoonish too. Uh, yeah, that one's very ridiculous. Uh, the the thing with those is, I feel like previously, and I didn't go back and look at the other executions, so maybe I'm wrong about this. I felt like it was more about the contraption itself and not like the wounds inflicted on the bodies of the people being murdered. And part of that is because this game is going to throw this all in your face and be like, you enjoy all the killing video games, whatever. Um, but uh, I found it like distasteful. This game also just kind of has a general mean streak that I feel like Danganronpa typically doesn't have. Um that really bummed me out. Uh, it's hard to tell how much that is like intentional or just because of the subject matter they're tackling, but this game feels nastier in a way that I like might just be the escalation of this is the third video game, but also is very off putting to me. Hmm. Part of me wonders if they would have been better suited passing this off to another writer. Um, Kazutaka Kadaka has been the single credited writer for the entire series, including the anime and, uh, Ultra Despair Girls spinoff, and a friend that is much smarter than me who wrote a whole article on Danganronpa and its critiques on meritocracy basically said that Kataka, Ayn Kadaka, is, he needs the killing game as a buffer for some of his more disgusting ideas, and if it's not there, then he tends to get a lot more mean-spirited. I think having done two spin-offs immediately before going back to the main series, some of that might have seeped back in, but overall having also played those two spin-offs in a screwed up way, this is almost like a breath of fresh air for me like, oh okay, here's here's what things look like when it's not just killing without any reason. Here's what things look like when it's going for the whole cartoonish game show thing that it always excels at essentially um i want to talk about miu we have to talk about Mew. <laughs> yeah i guess yeah, if we're going to yeah. talk characters might as well start off with Mew. <laughs> um i don't really have a whole lot to say about most of the other characters it really is all embodied by miu so well that's not true i have a couple things to say about angie but miu is the ultimate inventor um she is a uh, TM anime booby lady, basically. Um, of course, remember, all of these are high school students, uh, which makes this all really problematic. But that's just inherent into Danganronpa. Um, and we'll talk about when it actually goes beyond the pale. But Miu is the inventor, but she's also, like, expressed as, like, really aggressive and horny and aggressively horny in the way that she will rub her sexuality, like, in people's noses to try to upset them. Uh she is like a shitster and a shitlord in the extreme. And we talked about some of this when we talked about Valhalla, but she is just written like a fucking 4chan parody. It's awful. Uh, she, like, and Kokichi, who generally sucks, like, plays into it because she's, like, the whole thing with her is, like, she's very brusque and uh, sexually assertive, but she also seems to, like, want people to be like that to her because she gets off on it, and then she, like, folds into like being really submissive when people do that um and it's it, that's a fucked up thing for one uh because it's all played as jokes but then there's also extended sequences where like kokichi just calls her a cum dumpster over and over again it fucking sucks i wanted to stop playing this game whenever those two interacted but generally whenever me was on screen mm-hmm. um this is not this is explicitly not okay and is maybe single-handedly the reason i would not excuse this game and generally think it is bad 
Yeah, she's she's easily the the most unpleasant character in this game, and I like like actually like maybe two members of the cast. Um and and so uh, even among that just me was just yeah like i mean you made the comparison to Don- to valhalla um and what we what we said on the valhalla cast what what, what actually a thing that you said that i thought was pretty was pretty like insightful was like that a lot of like these these women are written like you know like the cool lady who's okay talking about sexuality right and me isn't even presented that way it's just sort of like no just like sex is her whole thing and it's not like the game doesn't necessarily think she's cool but also it's just like that's somehow that's that's worse because it's like no like her talking about sex sucks look at how much this lady sucks and just sort of piles it on and on and on yeah at one point Sumuki straight up says the more you talk the less i like you so please shut up (laughs) so and and that's basically used as the what's supposed to be the perspective of the players themselves and at some point it's like if you think that way about this character maybe you should have taken a few more stabs at her like there are some neat elements like the way that she's this inventor who makes these very convoluted contraptions like her method of fighting the exosols is these mario brothers style cartoon hammers that discharge electricity there's a bit of goofiness to be found there and if they focused on that more i think that. I'd like Mew a whole lot more. As it is, she kind of made me uncomfortable, especially whenever, like you said, she's working with Code Kichi, who's easily my favorite character in the game. And it's noticeable how much better Code Kichi gets as soon as he's not around her and gets to have his own moment in the sun, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like, she's explicitly in, like, marketing or interviews described as, like, they wanted to create a naughty character. So they think they're being cute. They are not being cute. No. Uh, and that makes that makes this all, like, really worse. Because this is definitely the kind of thing that you write when you're fucking shitty man being like, I'm going to make a character that makes people uncomfortable. But isn't it adorable that she just says porn shit all the time? There's uh there's a one of the nonstop arguments, which is the segments in the trials where everyone's like arguing about various points and you present evidence. Um and there's one of them like they're they're like they're shot as like little sequences um that loop if you don't hit the right target. And there's one where she like sort of sets forth a topic of debate and the other characters start to debate it, and their debate is interspersed with her making increasingly loud orgasm sounds. And it's just like this is fucking gross. And it makes me unhappy that I'm playing this game right now by a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, like, single-handedly, the worst part of all three of these games is her in these moments. Um, like, there's bad stuff in all these games uh, that you kind of, like, either have to get past or grapple with to enjoy what's here. Um, but this one was too much. If we weren't playing Mr. Cast, I would have stopped. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, only... Totally. Thing that's kind of close to her in Danganronpa 2 was the maid who I mean was the nurse who several at least two or three times within two falls down in a revealing pose and is blocked by food or something else and and Street says aha isn't this a funny moment and it's like no not really but it's just we're just gonna move along and pretend like this didn't happen and <laughs> essentially whenever. Essentially, whenever Mew was doing things like 
trying to get Gonta to go away by just running around in her underwear and repairing Kibo by getting really up close to them. It was... It was one of those moments it's like, okay, I'm going to just get through this and I'm going to get back to all the characters I really do like, which I like most of the characters here. <laughs> like, I know that most, I know that neither of you seem to like more than three or four characters at most, but. I would not go that far. Oh, okay. But if you want to talk about the characters, we can. Yeah, I guess we could run through the basics. But I want I wanted to knock out the really bad ones first. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Fair enough. Um so the other one I really wanted to complain about was Angie, who is the ultimate artist. Uh she also believes in a god called Atua. Um and uh she is presented as like a some sort of like Pacific Island character. Like she wears like um like a bikini all the time and she has like shell necklaces and she is darker skinned than most of the characters have ever been in Danganronpa. And she believes in this, like, mystical god that the game entirely plays for laughs until she starts, like, a weird cult around it. But it's just like, oh, my god says do whatever my whim is at this point, and everyone who believes in this will do it. And that's the right thing to do. And it is both a shitty portrayal of, like, like a some nebulously racist island caricature and also just religion in general. I don't know how they managed to be bad in multiple directions at once with a character that feels very much like an afterthought aside from her mechanics and the plot, but I hate Angie. Uh, yeah. An interesting note. Um, I don't know if you played with a uh, Japanese voice. Uh, no, I, I played with English. Okay. Um, Atua is a localization. She's just saying Kamisama. She's just saying God. Okay. Which well, is an interesting. Note. Localizing it to something like Atua gives it a very specific like ethnic flavor that is very uncomfortable. It it is I and I'm I'm like I'm not like I think it's I think that's important. I also just sort of wonder at sort of there's the, also the layer of just like is that better or it's probably worse. But it, it's, I think it's generally I feel like these games are probably problematic and the localization pushes everything up and makes the things that are bad even more exaggerated because they localize for the kind of audience that. Uh, really got into these games, which, as you said, is like fucking people on something awful for us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it really is. It should be mentioned that Danganronpa has had issues with race, like, like I mentioned in Ultra Despair Girls, Kurokuma is really bad, and in Danganronpa three, there's a there's one black character who is very characterized in terms of visual design. He's the second one that dies, and he dies to explain a rule with the bracelets about forbidden actions. Like, he sees someone else punch someone else, and then he dies because his forbidden action was seeing anyone commit violence. Which, we won't get that much into Danganronpa 3, but the whole mechanics of that game's... Of that, not that, that show's setup are really fucking stupid. Um, it's just Swearwolf. What's the point of a, all of the... What's the point of having a Danganronpa show if all of the intricate casework is just put down to werewolf? Yeah. But yeah, um, let's see. Let's talk about... Did you want to talk about any other characters specifically? Because we can talk about... I, I mean, the one character I want to mention is uh, Kaide. Kaide is the one character I ended up actually doing some of the post-game content with. Like, there's a post-game, like, basically dating sim mode, but it also mm. lets you do, like, the social links with characters who died. Okay. Um, and I liked Kaide because she was a human being, and literally no one else in this game is. Like, 
no one in this game acts like a person. Like this is I have a I have a big problem with Danganronpa on the whole and the way ultimates are portrayed, where it's these people who are so single mindedly obsessed with the one thing that they're good at that they don't act like real people. And Kaide mostly is just like a normal person who occasionally is like, oh, I wish I could play piano. So I have I have like two things to that. One specifically i've always read the ultimate stuff as this is a thing the kids believe in and then they're on their bullshit in a way that like i don't think the ultimates are real like and that's kind of like textually revealed in the case of this game specifically but i've always kind of felt that way because ultimates are like ultimate like because there's like uh ultimate what was one of them in uh dangarop one that's like a skill someone has like ultimate like you remember gem probably better than i do there's an ultimate fan fiction writer uh, yeah, like ultimate fanfics writer. There's like an ultimate chef in Danganronpa 2. But then some of them are like just things that a person is like <laughs> ultimate Yakuza. Like that doesn't mean that you are like Kazuma Kiryu. That just means that you're just the best at like a s- position in life or whatever. Yeah, ultimate um, affluent pro- progeny, things like that. Yeah, that's just that's just someone who's rich. Like that's not a superpower. <laughs> I don't care what Justice League is trying to tell you. Uh, and the way in which this feels entirely constructed just to give you characters to bounce off of is like part of the joke, quote unquote, of the game. Mm-hmm. But I've always read it as a thing that you should not take too seriously. But Kaede being like just kind of the normal person in particular sucks in this context because she exists to be like the fetish object of Shuichi after she gets fridged, right? Like yeah, that's, that's entirely true. her purpose in the plot. So of course she's like the nicest, most human girl in all of Danganronpa. Yeah, and I, like, I, I didn't think, like, I didn't care about her much. Like, when when we had the moments of, like, Shuichi reflecting back to moments with her, I didn't really care about that. It was just kind of nice to play as a character who was just, like, had reasonable reactions to things. I mm-hmm. found that really refreshing. Just sort of, like, like would be like, okay, well, let's figure out how we can solve this when everyone else is, like, freaking out and because of the art style, all of a sudden, like, spitting and drooling everywhere. Um <laughs> I don't like the art in this game <laughs> or any of these games. Uh, I'm not like hugely fond of it, but uh, Jen showed me the opening of the anime and watch- looking at Danganronpa characters animated like normal anime, like robs it of any possible character it had for me. Like it was immediately like a spell was broken. I hmm. hate the way that they look when they're just animated like anime. Yeah. In terms of the ultimate situation, you're right, Em. Also, because the way that the thing to remember about ultimate skills, especially in terms of Hope's Peak, is... Ultimate isn't something that you choose for yourself. It's something that Hope's Peak invented to get you into their school. Like they talent scout and they're like, you know what? I think you could be the ultimate musician. I think you could be the ultimate anthropologist. So why don't you come to our school and we'll pay for you? And it's basically this multi-tiered situation of the school more or less deciding people's social strata in real life as well as being the having this whole reserve course thing on the side where they just bring in normal people say oh if you work hard with us you might eventually get into the actual ultimate class but it's really this overpriced milking system where they take a bunch of rich kids and take their money and especially in two it leans hard into the eye and even in some in v3 like v3 mentions One of the characters mentions offhandedly that people who graduate from Hope's Peak get special voting privileges, get certain benefits that no one else in society has. And of course, that system is the thing that 
allows the ultimate, tra- the worst tragedy in history to happen because of how inherently screwed up all of this is. And it, it's their way of talking about how a lot of problems within society are caused by this different level of treatment for each person. Like, none of the Ultimate students even have to study for anything. They don't have to go to class. They're told, okay, you just work on your own thing and we'll just mark you as present. But, like, I mean, so I think that's all well and good. And it's it's valuable to have this criticism of, like, you know, like, education systems, especially the Japanese education system, right? And, and such. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like, there's still the reality of, well, it creates characters I don't give a fuck about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so so I think part of this is this is operating in, like, a level of like postmodernism in the field it's working in. Like if you look at uh, like battle Royale, like the book in the movie is specifically about this thing of high school students being forced to murder each other because it is like a metaphor for how Japanese school systems create ultra competitiveness and damage the lives of children or whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. like a really sobering look of that. Um, Like that movie is depressing and real in a, in a way that this is not, but then you even, you look at the way that that manifests in something like Naruto or my hero academia, where these characters are more extreme. Everyone's got their special talent because they're a special anime character. Um, And the shows aren't really about them like struggling against the system. I haven't really watched my hero academia much. So I don't have, I don't know if it's explicitly about this, but within that framework is always this idea idea that they are pushed to be like their most extreme versions of themselves in a system that doesn't really care about them aside from how good they can be at supporting that system and status quo that it feeds into. Um, and that is like one more like error removed from this commentary. And so you have Danganronpa that is like the parody send up of these things with like Phoenix Wright thrown on top, which is already kind of like a joke game. Um, <laughs> and it ends up, like, I don't want to see like irony poisoned, but it is removed multiple times from the conversation that people are having. And it's kind of meant to be understood in the context of we've already had those conversations. We all know school is like awful and turns kids into extreme nervous wrecks who compete against each other and causes like teen suicide rates that are very high in Japan or whatever. Uh, let's just take that to the like parody extreme. Um, that's always been the space Danganronpa I feel like operates in and it, it limits it from having certain conversations for sure. Yeah, I just I I feel like you can't have it both ways. You can't have that like absurd over the top parody of like of 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 what disasters it turns people into and then be like, "Don't you want to hang out with them?" It's like, "No, I don't." Well, I don't I never play those post game stuff. I never want to hang out with anybody in these games. I just want to read the game and get done. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and I'm the person in this cast who actually ends up liking a ton of the characters like the thing that kept me going with some of the side stuff is just getting five maybe ten minute glimpses of these characters of who sides you didn't get to see within the the proper games and yeah there i mean there are characters i like in this game i wish i could have spend spent more time with rioma i thought Ryoma romeo was cool. romeo rioma was all right i i was down with that guy yeah um uh, I liked himiko i thought himiko got a lot to do like her arc is like maybe the best arc of any character in danganronpa yeah they give her oh. a lot to like, when you initially meet her, she's pretty much tired all the time, insists that everything she's doing is real magic and not magic tricks. And it's to the point where during a specific case, you have to disprove that what she's doing is actually magic. But then she's like, well, yeah, all this equipment does have this stuff, but it's still magic. So what are you going to do? And everyone's like, but, okay, we're going to keep, we're going to keep. 
we're just going to move on. And then at some point, the shock of losing Tanko, essentially, pushes her to be her best self, to be more energetic, to... Uh, part of that is also she like she joins the cult because she doesn't feel like anyone accepts her or believes in her. So she needs something like that can give her a sense of belonging. And then the cult explodes because Angie dies and everyone is torn apart. And then she fixates on Tenko as like that and realizes Tenko is like interested in her slash willing to sacrifice herself for her and like drives her to try to like get over herself in a way like it's not much, but it's character development in a game that is not about that. And never has been. That's fair. Yeah, totally. The rest of the characters are more or less... Well, there's some with Kokichi, but we can get to that later. Uh, There's some of it that's... A lot of their characters exist to clash against one another or set up situations where they'll more or less be encouraged to fight amongst each other or cooperate, as the case may be, but... She, you actually see her grow as a person over time, and that's really nice. And, uh, let's see. My, one of my other favorite characters, uh, which may not be for everyone because some of his voice clips, some of their voice clips aren't exactly the best. Uh, K1B0, or Kibo for short. They're the ultimate robot, and, they take everything incredibly seriously in a in very endearing way. Like, when they're trying to be... None of their... Most of their abilities before being upgraded by Mew or having the final showdown where they turn into a Mega Man-style world destroyer, they're things like, oh yeah, my eyes can light up, or I can record things, or... I can shoot Polaroid pictures out of my mouth. And they're very goofy sort of abilities you wouldn't typically associate with a young, hyper-strong robot character. They actually have the strength of a 50-year-old. And there's something about their earnestness to be part of everything and their belief that everything that they are is incredible, that really endeared me to them like i wanted i was constantly thinking okay i'm gonna protect this person no matter what (laughs) and yeah there's also this there's just these little conversations where they're like hey i'm really good at one-man comedy shows so i think i can handle things (laughs) or they're also sort of non-binary in a way like they consider that they don't really... They don't seem to be very comfortable... Well, maybe they're not comfortable saying it when Tenko's around, because Tenko can be a bit pushy at times, but they don't really seem to have any attachment to either male or female archetypes. So they're just this cool, lovable, non-binary, non-binary robot that I like. That's because Tenko is like a gender essentialist, <laughs> like militant. <laughs> See, I, while I do agree that she pushes things a bit too far for the sake of comedy sometimes. I also think that she's earnestly asking, hey, what do you consider yourself as, Kibo? So, I think... Yeah, except that, like, the every like idea of maleness is, like, totally abhorrent to her. She must stamp it out. Yeah, it's a question... Like, the question may itself be phrased innocently, but the, given who it's coming from, I don't think you can take it very... 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I I guess she has I guess she has some problems. I just I don't know something about the way that she and I guess since she is the main character that's treated as the all caps lesbian, uh, some of her initial approaches to Himiko can be kind of uncomfortable at times. Like several times, it's like, "Ha, when do you come sit in my lap and stuff?" And it's like, "Oh." Well, she falls into really, like, outdated stereotypes of, like, man-hating, very, like, aggressive lesbian. And Don Ganrapa? Yeah, Yeah. no, for sure. Um, I wanted to shout out Monokuma and the Monocubs, because this is the first game where I found myself liking Monokuma. Um, Monokuma is kind of like whatever he needs to be for the plot because he has to be, um, giving him five children that are basically like aspects of his prior personality allows Monokuma to just kind of be like his most pure self of like, I'm going to give you the rules. I'm going to give you just enough rope to hang yourself with. And, uh, I'm going to be on whosoever side is most advantageous at any given time. And I appreciate that honesty about him. Um, because of the Monocubs, most of which suck. I like Monophamy a lot because uh, she's cute, and uh, that's about it. Uh, Monodam is ridiculous and interesting <laughs> to me. But um, like, there's a part in Trial Five when they create the perfect murder that Monokuma doesn't solve. That Monokuma joins your party, uh, and he he's like Monok- he literally announces Monokuma has joined your party, and then begins like arguing with you on your behalf during stuff, and. I love that they treat him as like a part of the plot and like just a character like anyone else and not just the all seeing plot device games master that he often appears in prior games. At the same time, he's more all seeing than he's ever been before because he has on his side like an army of nanomachine cameramen. Yes, um, but because they because they give that like a groundwork, they can create the hole by which there are things he can't see. So yeah, it, like giving this giving you a scenario where Monokuma doesn't actually know the answer is really interesting to me and does a lot to make him like a character. That's true, and I I do think this is like from from the you know again this is another situation where my experience is with the screenshot LPs, so maybe I would like him better if I went back. But this is also the most I've liked him, but that's partially because of how much I hated the Monokuts. <laughs> I was, I was. Like, not in the same way as Mew. I wasn't, like, disgusted. I just thought every moment they were on screen sucked. I thought they so, were fucking garbage. <laughs> I, I thought I hated the Mono Cubs until Mono Kid and Monosuke died, and then I realized I liked the Mono Cubs. Hmm. Yeah. I just really hate Mono Kid and Monosuke. <laughs> because Mono Kid is, like, this, like, very... Like, he just talks about boners and rock music a lot. He sucks. Uh, Monosuke is like this, like very old, like he comes, he's like an old, like accountant is like <laughs> his personality. Um, uh, but when you're left with Monodama, Monophony and Monotaro, Monotaro is like kind of meant to be like the normal one, more or less. Uh, he's like a shut-in protagonist, but as one of the bad guys, uh, <laughs> Monophony is like the nice cute one. And then Monodam is like weirdly capricious and quiet. And his story seems to be like, because he's raised by Monokuma, he, like, has internalized a bunch of, like, abusive behaviors, but in a way where he clearly seems to be trying to work through them. It's, like, a weird throwaway plot to give a character that barely talks. Uh, I found it fascinating more than good, but I found it fascinating in a world where these games don't have a lot of, like, characterization. Hmm. Yeah. And the, and the way that he would essentially just toss another Monokid into the trap to kill them, and he's just going to the others... I just want to be friends was kind of yes. fun and unpredictable. 
Um, when they bring all the Mana Cubs back after they're dead, that I hate. It's bad. <laughs> bad choice. Uh, don't If characters die and it's worth doing, just let them be dead. I We'll talk about this maybe towards the end, because I also think the ending should have done this as well. Let Another, characters just be dead. Yeah. Oh boy, I agree with you there. But also, like I do with the with the case of the mono kids, because I I I and yeah, I can say hated because I hated them so much. Um, mm-hmm. I was gonna say disliked. It's like no, let's not waffle. Um, I actually was okay with bringing them back because they were killed within like five minutes again. And I was yes. like, okay, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, just murder them again. That's great. But I like because I thought that their character interactions and development, such as this, was interesting. Them coming back and just being like the early games versions of themselves was not interesting to me at all. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, also, some of the some of the localization choices definitely rear their heads the most with the monokids in both good and bad ways. <laughs> like, there's a bit in four where during the entire case of four, Monokuma's more or less bored and going through the motions until someone accidentally mentions Sonic the Hedgehog, and he gets incredibly angry in a completely surprising way, like, just having this outburst where he's like, I hate that hedgehog! And everyone's just trying to calm him down, being like, no, no, just please, please go back to where you were before. We don't want to see you angry like this. And there's also some weird jokes that like, it's it's hard to tell exactly what they were shooting for, because at one point, one of them goes, yeah, this is the year of the Jets. Fuck the Patriots. So, a random NFL joke thrown in there. And then sometimes... I really just think that's just localization bullshit. Like, that's all that can be, right? But, like, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it some with, with Samugi and her non-stop <laughs> meaning bullshit. But, like, so, like and there are enough, like... Japanese in jo- like culture jokes in this that I think they're just localized versions of Japanese culture jokes. Yep. Um, but I I do like I I was expecting someone else to bring it up, but I guess um there is the whole Mono Kids sub arc with Monotaro and Monophony and the domestic abuse. Um, that's not great. Oh yeah, I that did happen. <laughs> I totally blocked that out. Oh <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, no, there's there's the like yeah like drunk Monotaro having sex with his technically sister and then beating her and then she God. gets killed while pregnant it's very bad i thought yeah uh, i don't remember that happening but oh yeah, yeah. no no i believe you that's like that's like a whole like hour and a half of the game is that going on in the background every time oh. the tvs turn on while we're on this subject i should probably mention that danganronpa some of the earlier stuff as well as this one has they have a few incest jokes that they come back to like, this was this was chapter four, right? Where they die, they both die. Chapter four yeah. was the most I hit X until the game stops kind of moment. I was that's very fa- tuned out. I really that's... didn't like that chapter. Oh, really? That's the one that I enjoyed the most in terms of chapter stuff, just because it was the whole way that chapter four's case is set up is essentially like a gigantic trap being strung, sprung on... Shuichi and the rest, basically. Yeah, but it relies on them explaining for an hour a fact about, like, video game worlds that I've known for two decades, and <laughs> I was bored. Yeah, that's fair. I, I liked the dynamic of Kokichi in that, like, like, the most blatantly, like, a lot of the times he knows stuff he shouldn't. But this is or this is the most blatant, like, I know everything that's going on. And then there's the point in that one where you lie, and I imagine we'll talk about the lying mechanic. Um but there's a point in that case where you lie and Kokichi just immediately knows you lied and is like, okay, fuck you. I'm just going to reveal the answer. You (laughs) don't get to do investigation anymore. Yeah. He becomes Uh, angry. He becomes so irate. That's like, 
I'm going to take away your fun. Like, he, he sees all this stuff as, well, at least he presents himself as seeing all this stuff like a game. So, to, in his mind, saying, oh yeah, Gunta did it, is robbing Shuichi of his fun. <laughs> and that's kind of what I really like about the character. Like, he says so many lies, he layers himself on. It's both a method of attack and defense for him, because in the co- over the course of Case 5, you find out that he was also very eager to end the killing game. He was just doing it in his own way, and essentially setting up a unsolvable murder in order to make that happen, even sacrificing himself to do that. And you also learn that within the world's fiction, he is... He's not really an ultimate supreme leader so much as he is an ultimate prankster. Like, he has a gang of ten people called Dice that he goes globetrotting with and does what's referred to as petty crimes. So, he's kind of like if the Joker was actually just a a petty theft and not some sort of evil mastermind character. You even... There's even multiple situations if you go through the... If you build his relationship arc with Shuichi and you see the post-game stuff, you actually see the two of them more or less growing close together in a way that's almost romantic. Like they, like Shuichi likes the fact that Shuichi finds Kokichi fascinating in terms of just, I don't know much about you, but I'd like to know more because there's something about the way that you're constantly teasing that's kind of fascinating to me. And Kokichi's like, you're so serious that just messing around with you all the time and you being completely earnest about everything I say is really endearing. I too have seen Death Note. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing, so Kikichi is interesting to me because I really disliked him for a good chunk of the game because of the way he is like arbitrarily cu- cruel to other cast members in a way that leans into some of his game's worst tendencies for edgelord bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. Once most of those characters died off and he was just left to be the foil for Shuichi, I found him really interesting. And I like the fact that of all of Danganronpa, he's like the first character who feels like they're actually trying to solve stuff along with you. Um, in his own broken, messed up, full of lies way, like at least during trials, he's like making deductive leaps that Shuichi hasn't and coming to conclusions and testing them with his lies that you can, the fact that his lies are so clearly like signposted and you can see through all of them helps a lot in creating a character that you can like read a lot of nuance into. But it also means that he's a character who seems like he's playing the game along with you. And that counts for a lot because everyone normally just shouts stupid shit at you for you to like debunk every time you go to trial. And Mm -hmm. he's actually like giving you hints and leading you along and coming to his own conclusions and testing them even if they're wrong. So like when he offers something and you have to spend 15 minutes like debunking it, it always advances the case in interesting ways as opposed to when someone says something factually wrong and you all have to argue for 10 minutes and you present obvious contradictory evidence and move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Even in case three where for a bit of shock value after you find the two bodies, you go outside after investigating a room, you see... Um, Kokichi in a pool of his own blood laying down. The body discovery music starts playing, but then he leaves someone and goes, Lies! It was all a trick! But it turns out he actually hurt himself really badly while investigating a room and finds a vital clue that helps you solve that case. So even when he's, even when he's being troublesome, he's usually finding a way forward. And that's a lot of fun. <laughs> 
so all that's good. On the other hand, so I had an arc of Kokichi, with Kokichi in this game, of not liking him at start, and for a lot of the beginning of the game, and then liking him when he was around after Miyu was dead for a little while, and then not liking him again by the end, because they try to redeem his character in a way that I feel like they don't earn in the slightest. In what way? Well, I mean, like, so they have the the case, is it case four or is it case five? I forget. But like the... Where it's like, okay, so he like he set up this, you know, this unsolvable murder to kill himself, right? And it's like, okay, that's that seems like I guess decently in character, but it's like, oh no, he's actually he's actually not cruel. He's just the he's just the ultimate prankster, basically, and like he hates this killing game and he's having a terrible time. And it's like, no, that doesn't like <laughs> that doesn't jive with like most of his actions. So far. that might jive with like his ultimate goal of stringing the game along, but that doesn't jive with the way he motivated people to murder. That doesn't jive with his like insanely over the top cruelty and viciousness to other characters. It doesn't make sense. You're giving him this redemption without earning it in the slightest. Uh, so my thing is, I don't even think that redemption was necessary. Like I no. never bought that he was the evil supreme leader because literally everything he says is lies. So why would that be true? <laughs> like sure. it's not like Monokuma tells you what everyone's ultimate is. They self-identify, um, and that's like important. Like the minute he's like, "Oh, I ran like an evil like organization, like Team Rocket that was all over the world doing evil shit." You're like, "No, you're not. You're like a shitty kid who lies about everything." <laughs> um, I assume the game would like outright like it like reveal at some point that his ultimate was he was the ultimate liar instead of anything else. Yeah, um, same. But also, like, there's a big subsection where everyone waffles about the fact that he's been he revealed himself as the mastermind. Like anything he said before that was at, like honest or true, and why everyone believed that suddenly was really weird to me. Like it well, wasn't necessary for dude to do the thing where everyone just bought in when he said he was going to be the mastermind. Because why would the mastermind be the person who is clearly shadiest of every one of the characters for the entirety of the game? On the other hand, though, I mean, like he does present at the time what seems like pretty fucking good evidence. Like, he's like, okay, here's the outside world, I already knew about it, and also, here's all the Exosols, and they obey me. Like, he d- but he doesn't, like, the Exosol thing is there, but, like, easily explained away in the exact way the game does. The thing where he, like, uh, opens the gate, he found that flashlight, uh, the, like, memory flasher, and had information that you didn't have. So the fact that he could make a leap, you couldn't make sense to me. Yeah. Sure, but I, I don't know. I feel like the Exosol one, you're you're kind of being a little, like... If you're assuming that, like, oh, okay, something happened that was impossible, like, I'm sure there's an explanation. It's like, well, then none of the plot points in this game, like, anything, you can be like, well, I'm sure there's some device or something that caused this to happen. At uh, that point, I don't, you don't have I any mean, that, that's just Danganronpa. It always has been. <laughs> also, yeah, that's why Danganronpa sucks. Also, the reason why like, everyone believed him is immediately after his villain speech, everyone else but him got to see a flashback light that put him as the remnant of despair that was clearly written by Samugi. And even during case five, when they're talking things out, they'll mention like, you're a remnant of despair. And Kaito slash uh, Kokichi is like, remnant of despair. What's that? And yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty clear that they did not see the same thing. So the reason that they have for distrusting him is not the same one that he gave them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I just think in general the game should give the audience a little more credit than it does. I mean, that's just true all around the board. But also, on some level, Dengarampa is not like a puzzle box to solve. It's a roller coaster you're on more than it. Yeah, you know. that's that's kind of a that's kind of a change of, of mindset I had to like because again, this is my first time actually playing one of these, and it was like the first the first case. It was like okay, before we went into trial, I figured out what happened. It was very solvable, right? 
Mm-hmm. And the second case, it was like, okay, I couldn't, I figured out how they did it. I couldn't figure out who, because I feel like they did a bad job with motive this time. Oh, it you, turns out you never, be, like, it, it's rare that you know who, I feel like. Yeah, because they don't give a shit about motive in this game. They reveal yeah, motive it's, it's after not a, the case. It's not a over. mystery game. It's like a horror comedy game. <laughs> yeah, and it took me a little bit to figure that out. And it's like, okay, well, I don't like horror, and I think their comedy is shit, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> in one and two, they did a much better job of giving motive, like, with the... The case that sticks out in my mind in two is the one with uh, what's what's her name? The photographer. Um, she's basically killed because the ultimate yakuza wanted to confront her because it wasn't. They all found out that she was somewhat involved with the the death of the yakuza person's sister, and that situation is not immediate. Was not at all set up to be a situation where she was going to be ambushed and killed. It just turned into that way because everyone was hot-headed and things escalated quickly and people did things that they immediately regretted. And that's a... I I think that two's cases had a... Even one's cases, in some cases, had a... (laughs) They did much better at providing motive. The biggest one that has a huge problem in V3 is... um, What's his name? Uh, Corey Kiyo. Yeah. Shinguchi. Um, who, the ultimate anthropologist. It just revealed that he's a serial killer and he wants to kill people so he can make more friends he's like for a his weird, sister. He's like a weird incesty, uh, uh, what's the Hitchcock movie? Psycho ass serial killer also. Because he yeah. like manifests himself as his dead sister who he's in love with. It's fucked up. That one's bad. That's a really bad case. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I liked the, I liked the mechanics of that case more than the actual the the reason for killing is entirely uninteresting, but just all the moving pieces, like the way that they set up the floorboards to be hit in a certain way that would knock the person into the knife, I found kind of interesting, <laughs> especially. Yep. I, I was actually expecting that case to be a little more like sprawling and complicated than it was. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that, and there's also the issue of. Having the Kaede bust hit the lock, which is mm-hmm. seems like a very unwieldy way to do things. Like you, you had to rely yeah. on the fact that a it would hit, and b it would hit in enough time to let you leave. Because in my mind, turning something like that and expecting it to hit it the way that it did, you would have to get out of there almost instantaneously, and that would be nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I'm hmm. sorry. I'm still processing you saying like this isn't a mystery game, right? Because I I kind of approached it like one with with like with an emphasis on horror and comedy, but like a mystery game. And it's like if I had approached like as a mystery game, I feel like it's subpar. But I feel like if I hadn't approached it as a mystery game, I don't even know if I would have found anything to like. Huh. Because uh, that's fair. I mean, you don't like horror, like straight <laughs> yeah, up. That's like it's, I'm surprised that you played this at all, honestly. Uh, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is my show too. I want to be here. <laughs> For sure, no, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's... But when we suggested it, and you were like, "No, I'll play that," I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> also not be- expecting it. It's also because Jen and I have a history of me, like of of me, Jen, and a friend of ours named Connor, like talking about Rampa and them getting really excited about it and me being like, man, I fucking don't like these games. And it's like, you know what? No. I've only ever read LPs 
that's not good enough for me to have this stance on the series. I need to play one if I want to have a real opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, sometimes you can deduce the killer. I feel like it's usually pretty easy to deduce who the secret mastermind is. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Sumugi is signposted from forever away because she has no plot in the entire game. Yep. Um, and I think that the the signposting gets kind of interesting in terms of case six because it's like, okay, we're going to go back to case one and this bit that initially kept that initially was your alibi because who's going to be able to run to the bathroom and get back at the same time was, oh no, there's a secret door within the bathroom and you totally had access to that. And I just found it fascinating to be like, okay, the sixth case is going to be a relitigation of this first one with new information that we have. So we we can get that bit out of the way so we can drop all of the Danganronpa's of fictional world and you're kind of just pawns in it. And I kind of want to talk about uh, specifically Kaito Kaede and uh, Shuichi for a moment because they're the three characters that get the most focus within that specific trial for a specific reason, like... They end up showing the audition tapes that each one submitted before they went in. Those are the three that they choose because those are the three characters that more or less had noble ambitions in front of everyone. And each one of them wants to be a Nagito Komaeda or a Kokichi Oma. Like, each one's like, you know what? I'm going to be the one that wins this series. I'm going to be the one that is laughing and cackling as I hack my way through all the other students. <laughs> these these very revealing videos that... And each one of these characters, like Kaito Momota, Lumeri of the Stars, was the thing that kept Shuichi going for the last four cases. Like, his determination of, you know what, sometimes we need to take, we need to tell lies to get things moving forward. Even if things look like this one person is guilty... I'm going to believe in my friends. I'm going to just believe in their inherent goodness the whole time. And essentially that gets thrown in everyone's faces because it turns out that he was probably the most bloodthirsty of them all. Like, the way that he talks about everything. Like, Shuichi's just a bit camera shy and, like, is kind of struggling to say things in a very... Sort of like getting a kid being interviewed in a reality show situation. While well, Kaichi just comes and is like, I'm going to steal the show here. And it's really interesting to see how even after that kind of collapses and it turns out that he's probably the worst one of them all, in a way, that his energy... His energy essentially leads to the ultimate thesis of this game, which is that... Even if something was a lie, the way that we focused on it, the way that it brought us together was very much real. And there's power within that. There's power within lies in fiction or just... there. Even if, even if you discover something that you really, really liked or something like that turns out to be bad or was made by a bad person, there's still something... It's not... All of your time spent within it isn't a sunk cost. It's something that means something to you, and it's something that made you who you are, more or less. And that still has value. 
I feel like they fucked that up. <laughs> I feel uh, like you just convinced me that the ending is bad. <laughs> um, like I think I just changed my mind, and the ending of the game is bad. You just convinced me. I think I think my part will be quicker than yours, M. So I'll okay. get it out of the way. Which is just like I don't feel like they sell like. I, I felt like that kind of the like the interviews lacked impact because the brainwashing and like mind like is so absolute that it's like, okay, those are the physical bodies that you're in now. The mind that was in there is completely gone. You are not the same person. This is kind of irrelevant. And I can appreciate why it shocks them, but as a viewer it's not thematically relevant at all what they used to be, because they're literally not that person anymore. Yeah, I guess for me it was thematically re- relevant because it's like the ultimate call-out post because I'm totally the person who obsesses over the villains, who thinks that they're awesome, who loves seeing people essentially fall into despair and betray their friends and or just steal the show. I That's one of my highlights of Danganronpa, to be honest. Like, the really yeah. messed up things, I, I find value in some of that. I, I find that, that was- engaging. That was part of why the ending felt like, not like flat to me, like, I felt like the ending was good, but I also felt like they weren't talking to me, because it was this call-out post of, like, you love the suffering and the killing, and I'm like, I literally walk out of the room when you do that. You're not talking to me right now. And that's fine, but you're not. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Em, go ahead. Uh, so, um, the, the ending, as explained in the summary and how we've been talking about it, is about, like, rejecting this, like, endless idea of hope and despair as, like, a false dichotomy that you don't buy into it because it just leads to more perpetuation of this stuff. Uh, but then Jen was talking about this idea that, like, oh, our lies even, our lies and fictions hold a truth for us even if they're not real and that matters and can change things. And that is just an argument for hope as the vote, as the winning side here again. Mm-hmm. And yep. the hope that the game constructs is entirely like an up its own as a very specific definition to fit the f- like format of the game in that hope specifically is defeating the game and continuing the cycle bullshit. Um, and, uh, realizing that made me dislike the ending a whole lot more. <laughs> oh no. Uh. I mean, like, like you want to talk about like hope and like, 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 okay, we've rejected both hope and despair. We're now in a world without hope and despair. Let's have but all the they're f- all they're doing is giving you a hope option under a different name, right? And literally, like, the abs- yeah. the abstaining vote isn't isn't actually like abstaining from picking a side. It's oh, it's hope, but we're not going to call it that. But it's really like all of our fictions will save us, and we will make the world better by believing in ourselves, which is just hope. You're just describing hope. <laughs> And literally the last shot of the game, the last shot of the game after they've rejected hope and despair is them like standing together in the sunlight, looking optimistically towards a bright light of the future. Like fucking come on. That's hope. <laughs> Everyone should have died. Like that was my Everyone should have died. Everyone should have like, died. Like he destroys the game and then all of the good characters stand up out of the rubble. At, like they were crushed in just such a way that they did not get injured. Yeah, and it sucks. sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess I find the th- I guess I find the thematic uh, significance of the ending to be more to be more weighty and worth more than the fact that all of them may have died, which might all of them may have survived, which might be disappointing. But I mean, I don't mind if they decide, oh, we want to like let hope win, but you need to make that the text of your game if that's the actual thing you're doing. Yep, I agree. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Trying to figure out where we go from here because there are other characters that I wanted to mention, but it seems like we've kind of passed you, that. You should go right ahead because I'm, no, yeah, I'm go basically done. Okay, so 
Gonta was a lot of fun. Like, he's this Tarzan-esque character who is determined to act like a gentleman and is very easily misled by Kokichi several points. Like, at one point, Kokichi's like, yeah, you know what would be cool? Everyone here needs to love bugs more, so why don't you just take us... Why don't you give us a lesson? And his response is to lock everyone in this room for a meet and greet with bugs and he just releases all the bugs that start chasing everyone around it's also uh i oh go ahead it's also a situation where it's really tough it's really heartbreaking to watch him realize that he's the one who killed mew in chapter four like they do a pretty decent job of explaining why he would have done that by basically being like Okay, A, she was already going to kill Kokichi, and B, the lies that he's being fed by the flashlight are so horrifying that he's like, I gotta make sure none, no one else ever sees that, so we're gonna do this. And, I don't know, just seeing, having him around being very goofy and silly, it diffused a lot of the, the tension in a very, innocent way that the other tension diffuse the other tension diffusing characters weren't as much well i hate to destroy your joy but i'm about to call out post you about this <laughs> okay um i don't mind like gentle giant archetypes i like sakura a lot in Rampa one she was like the ultimate martial artist or something like that right yeah and she was just a giant lady, just a huge giant lady who everyone was scared of, but she turns out to be, like, really nice. The problem with Gonta is Gonta was, like, raised in the wild and is, like, a like an idiot, like, man-child. Yep. And there's a lot of problematic things packed into that. Like, the idea that, like, because he was raised in nature, he has, like, this innate nobility to him is, like, full of a bunch of, like, very traditional, like, colonialist trappings that are that suck. Um, also they literally treat him like a child who doesn't really know what he's doing up to the point that he is killed. Um, and he's, he's a teenager like the rest of them. Like maybe he was raised in the woods, but that doesn't actually make him like mentally deficient in any way, but the game definitely treats him that way. Oh yeah. I forgot. There's that whole bit where Mew uses the R word to talk about him and yes. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the kind of character he is playing. <sighs> yep. I I read it as a George of the Jungle Tarzan situation. Like I saw him as anime Brendan Fraser. So I don't think his portrayal is like self aware enough for that. Like he he doesn't have like a sense of personhood, and the game doesn't treat him like that. They literally treat him as like a giant like child who doesn't know what he's doing. That, that people can point at things. Like, yeah, like his 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 use in the game is literally as a weapon. Kokichi like pulls the trigger on. Like, even, like, even, I don't even think, you know, George of the Jungle or Tarzan necessarily nail it. Um, but, like, even those characters are generally represented as having, like, basic, like, facilities for reason and understanding. They don't have a base of knowledge, but, like, they can figure things out. Gonta cannot. Um, the only thing I liked with Gonta was I did kind of like the dynamic in his case where he, where he's like, well, okay, I don't remember what happened, but you guys have presented a really compelling case, and that's the only thing that makes sense. I thought that was kind of a neat dynamic there, but that's the only thing with him I liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of heartbreaking to make him, to essentially make him come to terms with the fact that he did this thing. And also the way that it kind of, I guess also the his general cluelessness is used as a smokescreen case for, because several times he's like, 
okay, explain this concept to me. And the thing is, everyone's like, okay, you're, you're Gonta, we'll have to explain this again. But he keeps going, I don't know. And that's because he literally didn't know he wasn't present during those moments because of the brain, uh, because of the wires were crossed, essentially. And, um, I forget where I was going with this. Sorry. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I, I, now that you're mentioning things about the whole nobility thing, I didn't even think about that while I was playing. So, yeah, when you put it in that way, Gaunt is not exactly as amazing as I remember him being. <laughs> and, um, I guess the only other character, I, I imagine you both mentioned that you really liked Ryoma, if you want to say anything about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just interesting. He is like, uh, he looks like a toddler or like a doll. He's very short and uh, strangely animated, but he is the ultimate tennis pro. But he went to prison a long time ago. And there's like some discussion early on of he like there, there's like wondering why he's not like the ultimate prisoner or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish they had leaned into that a little more, but he dies really early on. So none of that really matters. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like there are, like, I was initially off-put by his, his, like, the way he's drawn with the art style, and the Mm -hmm. fact that his voice actor is clearly, like, 37, um, (laughs) but I think that's part of the joke, and I'm, I'm okay with that joke. Um, the things about me that, the things about him that really worked for me is, like, one, um, I find it really relatable to have a character in the killing game who's just, like, no, I don't want to kill anyone, I guess if someone has to die, it can be me, I don't love life that much, like, no, yep, I... I'm there with you. Um, and the other part is there's like, you talk to him. Um, he's one of the few characters I actually bothered to hang out with. Um, and like, he has these relationships and you can ask him about like, you know, being a, t- being like, you know, the ultimate, you know, tennis pro. And he's like, it's really stupid. I was like good at tennis, but like there were people in my class that were better at tennis than me. I don't fucking know why I'm here. <laughs> and I thought that was really good too. Yeah. The only bit of his design that kind of run me the wrong way was, He's the most look at him once and you know that he's going to die character that Danganronpa's ever had. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. that's true. Like, immediate, you're like, okay, this guy isn't surviving this, these games at all. And that's kind of a shame. Like, there was also that element with uh, um, Himiko a bit. Like, most of the people I've talked to was like, yeah, I didn't expect her to make it to the end at all. But with him, it's not even close. It's just immediately... Oh yeah, he's gonna die. He's totally gonna die. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I guess the only other character I wanted to mention, at least in any sort of detail, was Maki Har- Harukama. Um, initially the ultimate child caregiver, but then gets revealed to be the ultimate assassin. <laughs> Reason that she was hi- hiding it is a everyone immediately distrusts her and tries to kill her anytime anyone finds out that she is the ultimate assassin. And B, all of these ultimates have their own ultimate labs in this game, like a place to hone their craft. Hers is just a room full of weapons. <laughs> so she's like, okay, yeah, since this is my ultimate lab, I'm not letting anyone in here. I'm just going to stay in this place. And seeing the way that, seeing her relationship with Kaito, essentially, how he gets, he pushes her out of her comfort zone. He's the one that's constantly like, well, he does this for all the other cast members, too. Whenever anything goes wrong, he's like, if no one else is going to believe in you, I'm going to believe in you. So join my fitness program where I'm not doing anything, but I'm making you all do the work. And even with that sort of off-putting 
all talk, mostly no action thing from Kaito. It really opens Maki up to talking about her past and being more open to emotions, really, even if she is constantly instinctively replying to people, do you want to die, if they're getting on her nerves. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about Maki. Uh, Maki is relatable. She is the one person I was like, nope, this is me. I feel very seen by Dangamon here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that I think that works out. Like, uh, my like, uh, Jen's relatable character is the person who's fucking with everyone and enjoys misery. Uh, my relatable <laughs> character is the one who wants to die, and yours is the one who is just constantly threatening to kill everyone. I think this is good. But, this is healthy. But like, <laughs> means it as a term of endearment, and it takes uh. Shuichi, like, literally till the end of the game to realize that fact. <laughs> well, he, he realizes a little so- sooner, but he kill can't, still can't stop the knee-jerk reaction of this professional killer saying, do you want to die? Because <laughs> there's, yeah, like, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the game, he's like, I know she's joking, but still, every time it makes me jump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that bit of her is good. I, th- I th- She was fine. I don't know. I didn't feel like there was yeah. a lot to her. Yep, no, she's she's also, like, kind of, like, the most normal person. Like, yes, she is, like, the ultimate assassin, and but w- given that the ultimate talents are all just randomly assigned bullshit anyway. Like, she's just a person who reacts to the killing game by kind of closing up and being very careful about who she trusts, which, yes, relatable. True, true. Yeah. Very fair. And there's the way that she was, it, even, even though her ultimate ch- child caregiver thing was more or less a cover um, by the people who gave her the these roles there's her past was messing i mean her past was being a very good well being a babysitter that everyone kind of gravitated toward and her hating every moment of it like there's this flashback shot where all these kids are lovingly tugging at her sleeves and she looks like she's ready to end them all (laughs) and it's a lot of fun to see her talk about how it's fun and almost relatable to hear her talk about how the adults in her life basically forced her down a role that she had no interest in doing in multiple ways. And it's relatable to see someone who is good at something and even though they're good at something, they kind of hate it, but everyone is kind of pushing her to continue to do it. And it's the thing that she knows. So she's like, I'm hating every minute of this, but I guess I need to keep going. All right. Uh, let's see. What else should we? Do you have any thoughts about any of the other characters? I think no, I'm probably I'm good, good on the rest of the cast. I, yeah. I feel like I'm generally good on this game at this point. We have a lot of questions. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, 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 hmm, I want to talk. If we can, I can cut this if you want, M. But no, no, no. Go ahead. I feel like we should talk about the lying mechanic because when we briefly mentioned before, you had some thoughts. Okay, it doesn't really matter given that the game never really goes into it, but th- this game introduced the ability to lie in a trial where you can just present the conf, like the absolute opposite of the evidence you have at hand and subject it. You put it in to the trial. But outside of the like couple times Kokichi gets mad at you, nobody calls on you, calls you out for lying, like blatantly often and in ways that the game just glosses over immediately. And I get that everyone in the trial is an idiot meant to give you exposition. But it's really frustrating to have a game that's about, like, who do you trust and 
obviously, since you're the main character, you have to be the special boy that solves every case. But yet they already did the thing where the person you were playing as was the murderer and they played it like clever and cute as in like, oh, you didn't know until it was revealed that you were the one who did the murder uh, in between the narration of the game. But then gives you the ability to lie a bunch, but one only uses it in very specific situations, but also doesn't ever bring it around like thematically and how that would upset the ability of you to be the like pure arbiter of what is true and right in the world. Uh, I just think if you lean into that, you have to like have the reality where you could, you could pin, if you lie enough, you could be able to pin the solution on anyone you wanted, but because you're the protagonist, whoever you pin it on is clearly the person who is guilty. That's always the case. Well, I feel like it's two things, right? Like I feel like one, the options to lie are limited. Well, I guess there's the obvious, like, because creating how much content would be a pain in the ass, but there's also like, you can only lie about things that like, okay, like only one other person knows about this and they're on my side and would let this go. I mean, like, if you just lied about the autopsy report, it's like, well, everyone would just immediately go, well, you're fucking lying. Um, yeah. That'd be pointless. But but it doesn't, it, it does that one step, but it never goes into murkier territory that is introduced by the idea of you can just lie in a trial. Yeah. I mean, I feel. And, and since your role in every trial is to ferret out the real, unadulterated, actual truth that cannot be questioned and is the reality of the situation. Um, lies inject a lot of nuance into that that the game could have explored, but it's not really about that. I mean, my reaction isn't that the lying is bad. I just wish the game was about the fact that you can lie in a way that it is clearly not. It's hmm. just a new mechanic. Yeah, there are some ways that mechanically where it gets interesting, like each case has a secret alternate route, essentially, that still brings you to the same place. But if you lie about certain things in a clever way that the game doesn't, it's not the main solution, it's a secondary solution. Or you present something unexpected that still ties into the case. You'll get a... You'll see a bit different... You'll see people react a bit differently. Like, in case four, you can start right off the bat by lying about something. And that's not the regular intended route, but it immediately is a situation where you're basically declaring war on Kukichi. Like... Okay, liar, let's see what happens when you lie and you're the only one who can disprove it. (laughs) And Kokichi isn't exactly known for being able to tell the truth, so it's immediately pushing him to the ropes. Or at least what Shuichi thinks is pushing him to the ropes before he realizes the whole thing was more or less done the moment they entered the courtroom. (laughs) That's interesting. I didn't see any of those back doors. Um, I I did enjoy the lie in case four, or case i always mix up case four and case five i think it was case five where like you lie and yeah kokichi does call you on it and he's like come on guys who are you gonna believe and everyone's like are you fucking kidding yeah <laughs> are you fucking kidding <laughs> uh so but yeah we can we can move on to some l- l- messages from listeners emails perhaps yeah this time i went like a week early and posted to a number of places being like Hey, if you have anything to say about Rop at all, go ahead and write it in. So we'll see. Oh boy, I hope I can phrase it that way. I have five <laughs> emails, I think. Okay. So um, we will just go through these. Uh, first one is from Sam. I will abbreviate all these. Sorry. Some of these are really long. So I will try to. And Sam's one has like three, four separate points. So uh, Sam talks about <coughs> Kaede. Um, how do you feel about Kaede being killed off for Suishi's character development? It sucks. It's bad. Sucks. The game yeah. already started on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a clever thing to set up the protagonist as the killer in the first one, just to be like, 
okay, in this thing, all the rules are out the window and nothing is safe as kind of an opening gambit. But it really sucks that she ki- they killed one of the best characters of the series. Yeah, I I was behind uh, Jen, obviously, in, in how fast I played the game. So I was occasionally sending Jen messages. And I was like, I was going through case one. And I was like, man, at least there's one character I give a shit about. And the case ended, I was like, well, and at least there's zero characters I give a shit about. So that was fun. That was bad. Uh, That's actually the answer. There is a uh, point here about Tenko as a lesbian portrayal. Um, but uh, they found Tenko's relationship with Himiko to be really genuine. Um, they talk about Tenko's man-hitting lesbianness as a joke uh, and Himiko's, like, obliviousness to the interest. Um but uh, this isn't. This is more just talking about. It. We mentioned this. I, I think it's kind of tropey and like weirdly throwbacky in many ways. Um, I don't watch enough anime that has like portrayals of lesbianism to know if this is like a traditional Japanese trope or not. Uh, I just definitely read it as like a very like eighties way of looking at like lesbians in like a sitcom or something. Oh, she hates all men and she's tough and will fight them all. Yeah, I don't really hold anyone at like being wrong for finding something with that in that character, though, because this is a slight tangent, but when I played Danganronpa 1, I was still closeted, and Chihiro is obviously handled really poorly in a number of ways, but at that point in my life, I didn't really have a ton of other characters that were trans or trans-adjacent that gave me... that I could look to as a pos- as sort of a cool character, and... Chihiro is Chihiro's had a role in one and two and some of the side stuff in a really engaging way, even if sometimes you have to bat the writers away saying, No, you don't say it like this, but The the game continues to refer to her as a man the entirety of Danganronpa What after it is revealed. Yeah. That's It fucking sucks. It's so bad. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't begrudge anyone for like these games have a pretty sizable queer fan base, just like Persona, and both of those have... Just like Valhalla, <laughs> just like Persona. Both, basically, these series have... These series aren't exactly good at portraying... In some places, in some cases, they're pretty harmful with the way they portray queer characters, but the presence of these queer characters, I get people wanting to reclaim them and seeing the positive elements and being like... Okay, here's something that I can hold with me and divorce. I just think that it's important to divorce it from the actual creators. Like, this is a character that's important to me and the creators did not do a good job, but I can still have positive feelings about that character while thinking less of the creators for messing it up. Yeah, I just think it's very clear to, like, state when that happens that the game itself is categorically bad about this stuff. And I I wonder, like, I feel like the fandom does not call out Danganronpa as much as it deserves for the bullshit. It gets, like, the Polygon sidebar disclaimer and not, like, actual. No, Danganronpa's often anime regressive garbage trash. Yeah, and it's clear that at some point the Danganronpa creators figured out that they have this queer fan base because in Danganronpa 3 there's a love triangle essentially where a closeted gay character essentially has to keep certain information withheld and it's portrayed as this very tragic thing because he cannot afford being outed in a situation and there's a lot of relationships within v3 both in the side content and just some of the characters interacting with one another that's kind of fan servicey but also very genuine and happy and 
it doesn't really seem like they knew what to do with it, but it seems like they started to go in a direction that was better than where they initially were. Um, the, uh, let's see, I feel like we answered this question about characters that changed over time. Um, and then there was one about how we felt about the meta reveal. Uh, I know that this game, when it came out at least, was like really derided by the fans because of its ending, where it was like, Calling this is all out. a fake show that uh, is about how Danganronpa fans are all broken people who enjoy things they shouldn't. Um, how does everyone feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I mostly just felt incredibly seen because at at the time that I got to this ending, I was already looking into a. I was already looking into someone I could. I was already looking at artists I could potentially commission to create a Danganronpa style portrait of me that is kind of sinister in a way, and it was like immediately when I was working on just thinking about that, the whole scene of the interviews where everyone reveals that they're kind of they're kind of bad people <laughs> was like oh yeah i guess i guess they're talking about me huh and i i enjoyed the idea that they could essentially use this to talk frankly about how some of the stuff that they've done is simultaneously messed up in a way and also they get people's attachment to it and also just generally the main message i got from that ending is we are incredibly tired. This is Danganronpa 53. Let us rest. And we're going to... We're, we're shutting the door whether you like it or not. And we hope that we you like it because... Your whole argument with Kibo is essentially... You're convincing yourself and the audience to be like... Okay, it's time to end this. Uh, I, I played Metal Gear Solid 2 over a decade ago. So <laughs> I've already played this narrative, but like better. So I don't know. It didn't like surprise me or anything. This is just a thing some games do. Uh, like I said, I think their their ultimate like idea of, oh, we need a way out of this trap is always kind of a false dichotomy that they create to give you the hopeful ending that you want. Everyone should have just died. The game should have just cut to credits, deleted your save. <laughs> delete itself off your hard drive, blew up your disc, do the Kojima thing where the disc is rendered un unusable. Shuichi, turn off the game console. Yes. Yeah. Um, but unlike... But uh, I, didn't, I didn't dislike it. I, I thought it was fine. I, it's better than if they had... If they had actually given, like, a... Smoogie would, had a culmination. She was, like, a disciple of Junko, like, normal ending. I think I would have been grumpy that this was just the same thing again. Mm. Also, maybe this is a bit early to say, but unlike Hideo Kojima, it seems like the Danganronpa, the Danganronpa creators follow through on their word. Like, it seems incredibly unlikely that we'll see another Danganronpa within the next decade, at least. Isn't that what we said after MGS4? Um, hmm... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there should be another Danganronpa. I don't, like, I don't you can do, either. You can do plenty of ridiculous, like, teens murdering each other games that are not in the structure of Danganronpa, and I'll show up for those too, probably, because I'm an idiot. Yeah, I probably won't show up, but that's fine. You didn't You didn't think I was going to anyway, so. No. Um, yeah, I, I guess my, like, for me, the ending was kind of the moment where, like, I've been kind of mad about Danganronpa for a long time, because I felt like, my feeling was always like it was supposed to be for me. And it just missed the mark in a lot of ways, right? It's like, okay, it's this visual novel. I like visual novels. It's this character-based thing. It's this anime thing. It's this, I saw it as like this murder mystery thing. And like all of these things should be for me and none of it works for me. And I, and it made me unhappy, right? And for me, the ending of V3 was this moment of like, oh no, it never was for me. <laughs> like they were, I was never the target audience and that's okay. 
and it sort of gave me some peace of mind. Yeah, that, that's something at least, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a similar question from Erica about the ending. Uh, just shouting out. The, we covered it. We did it. We did the thing. Uh, thank you for writing in. We have a question. Uh, let's see. This this person only identifies themselves for their Twitter. It's Pula Hoko. Um, questions. Is keyboard, is Kibo a cyborg or 100% a robot? <laughs> I assume he's a robot. Like that, yeah. it's implied that he is just entirely robot. Yeah, he's called the ultimate robot, and his eyes are literally cameras. So he seems like a creation entirely made in house, without any sort of like maybe his memory was someone else's that they just maybe his personality was just someone else's that they stamped onto it. But then they very quickly have the ability to erase all of Kibo's personality with an instant. So seems like they're not really it doesn't seem like they're a human in any sense he's the super fighting robot mega man next question <laughs> uh if the ultimate talents are invented how does miu actually invent stuff is she just told about the inventions by the in-game danganronpa team and convinced that she thought them up so there's an interesting thing regarding that when they're searching miu's place to gather weapons and stuff like that, they find a ton of already ready-made blueprints. So it seems incredibly yeah. likely that it was a situation where they devised all the inventions and then just gave it to her. And there's also the layer of, like, they talk about sort of... of, of, of um, placebo effect, basically, where they're like, you believe in your ultimate talent enough that you sort of have one. Yeah, and the whole tell someone a genius and they'll believe they're a genius seems like that's triply so with Mew. Yeah, I mean, like, her first invention is hey, I attached a motion sensor to a camera. Like, hey, I could probably do that. <laughs> yeah. There's not much uh, invention in that. Uh, and then there's a question of whether Tsumugi is an actual person or just an idea in, as presented in the game. I would I would think she is more of a, an idea than an actual character. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, all of us figured out that she was going to be the mastermind because they really don't hide it much. Um, and I guess when I figured it out, I was just disappointed because it was like, okay, I guess like they're like, okay, we'll not characterize her for the entire game so we can have the reveal of her being a mastermind. And I'm like, that's not good enough. She's nothing. Yeah, it's... I wish they did more with her and also the more that I saw of her was kind of uncomfortable because... I ended up watching through all the Love Hotel scenes, uh, which are basically the gist of Shuichi is inserted as whatever their fantasy is, more or less, regardless of any other details, and he has to puzzle out exactly what that is, while the other character is in a dreamlike trance state, and hers is having a older brother that, um, from a basically stepbrother that she can have a relationship with. So, yeah. It's immediately like, oh, it's another incest joke. Okay. And also 90% of her lines are references to current era currently airing anime. I did not catch any of that as someone who does not follow anime. Yeah. As, <laughs> as one of the hosts of Oops All Anime, yes, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of very direct references to like, oh, I see, that's from the premiere episode of Shokugeki no Soma. Got it. You're very clever. Oh, God. I like that far less now that you've told me <laughs> it's, this. It's fucking sucks. It's very dumb. Yeah, I was very unhappy that I got their reference to fate. 
pretty much all of her lines. <laughs> Though the times when she uh, is just dunking on Miu as the voice of reason is are pretty great. Okay. Uh, then we got a question from Hunter. What is your favorite Danganronpa between 3 and 53? <laughs> Oh man, a favorite Danganronpa game that doesn't exist. That's so much better than all the ones that do. Um, you know, I'm going to say Danganronpa 6 because I am thoroughly predictable. <laughs> uh, I I also was going to say 6 because it has the ridiculous Squaresoft like Final Fantasy Kingdom Hearts logo. It's really good. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It did have the, the fake art was pretty good on that one. Yeah. Yeah, they they do Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, all that stuff. Um, should I give the legitimate answer of the group? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, my favorite was definitely two because I don't know. I think I'll... wait, that's not a between three and fifty three. It's meant yeah. to be oh, a joke. three and fifty three. Okay, three and fifty three. Yes. Oh, I misread the question then. Uh, no. Yeah, I guess. I guess 52, because I like it when ha- I have to dive into a ton of lore that doesn't really matter at all in order to... It, it's it's like those things where I have a ton of... I basically got so into Danganronpa at one point that I memorized all the characters' names and know most of the events pretty well, which is kind of sad, but it's fun whenever they kind of acknowledge that in a way. It's like... Oh yeah, remember this small thing that appeared? Well, here it is bigger. So I imagine since 53 was supposed to be a reboot of sorts, I imagine 52 was the one where all of that came crashing down in a almost zero time dilemma-esque way. (laughs) So I imagine enjoying that. Okay. We have one last question from Kat, which is, why is Monokuma split in half? What gives? Uh, it's supposed to be the duality of hope and despair. It's the duality of man, sir. I was wondering if uh, Jen possibly knew an actual reason in canon why Monokuma looks like that, but I guess that's Yeah, the, the only thing that they give close to an explanation is that when Monica Toa was convincing the... That, that was basically the design that... Junko Nishima always wears these white and black uh, little things in her hair, essentially. And I think that's just the design she gave Monica, like... Okay, you're going to create these servant robots that look like this, but they secretly have weapons in them. Just tell everyone else that they're servant robots. It'll be fine. Also, it's obviously uh, when Shirokuma and Kurokuma merged. Uh, That's true. They did the fusion dance. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh. laughs> uh, if you have questions, uh, of course, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, you could just put novel.new or anything in the subject. We don't get enough email that it worry, that it matters. So uh, that's where you can always send questions. We always put out calls, but we do not normally put out calls as well as Jen did this time. So <laughs> thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I really wanted people to respond, so I'm glad they did. Thank you, everyone. So should we talk about the... Are, are there any closing thoughts we have about Danganronpa and the... It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hope they don't make another, partially because I don't want them to ruin their ending. Also, partially because they shouldn't be allowed. No, that's that's too harsh. That's too harsh. But I have zero interest in ever Danganronpa again, or maybe anything from this team. 
I, I really like the idea of Danganronpa on paper. I kind of enjoy it. I really like Danganronpa 2. Um, I'm sure I've forgotten a bunch of gross shit in that game, though, because it's been a couple of years. Uh, and maybe they should stop anime poisoning everything good in the world. So as the one person who actually liked this game, uh, just want to say that everyone's complaints here were completely valid. And the way that they you describe it, yeah, it's all true. It's full of trash, and it has moments that I cannot defend at all. It's just one of those things where... I found the characters to be incredibly endearing for the most part, and the way that it more or less commented on the kind of fan that I have been in the past, I found pretty fascinating. But also, in a way, it was kind of... It didn't work, because immediately after that, I went on and played a fan game, and immediately found a bunch of GIF... I mean, I took 600 screenshots of this, and I've been steadily deploying them as reaction images and stuff like that so i guess it's ultimate messages yeah i'm i may be too big of a fan of a problematic series but it still has elements that i really love ultimate fangirl yeah (laughs) i guess yeah that's my title (laughs) Okay, so should we discuss the... Now that we have this entire series behind us, in a way, (laughs) uh, should we discuss what we're playing next? Yeah, sure. We all decided to take like a nice break and play some short games. Um, and we are going to triple up on the short games. Uh, so next month, we are playing three games you can all find on Itch.io. Uh, it is Us Lovely Corpses by DeMarie Lucia, uh, Leave Oma by Florian Veltman, and One Night Hot Springs by KC. Um, I think all of these games are free. They're all on Itch.io. We'll have links in the description of this episode. Um Six, you're not probably joining us for us lovely corpses, right? No, no. I mean, I barely made it through Danganronpa, like an actually purely horror thing. I'm, I'll, I'll tap out for that part of it. Well, that's all right. Uh, but otherwise, we'll be doing that, and it'll be a good time. It's, it'll be nice to play something that I don't have to schedule entire weeks around getting caught up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the other lesson I t- took from this whole thing is it might be best to. Stick with some shorter games for now, because being forced to play a game like this in a short amount of time kind of puts, kind of stresses the worse elements more than they normally would be stressed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be really honest with you, Em. When I was yes. playing this game at certain points where I was at my most miserable, yes. I thought of you and the time you guys played Yakuza 3 in a month for a podcast, and I was like, man, that must well, see, have been, the- oh. The difference here is Yakuza 3 is really good. That's true. And also, when we, when we have a long game, we normally schedule us out like six weeks ahead. We know what it's coming, so mm. we usually get it early. So I do, anyway. Uh, I normally play these games well ahead in advance and measure my time, and Jackson just crunches for the last week. Oh, um, boy. Uh, that is the way it usually goes. Uh, I normally, I'm really good about that. Long games, we try to work around, and we knew this was a long game going in. Like, we're not going to play games this long very often. There aren't that many to play that are this long, I feel like, so. Yeah. And hopefully ones that are slightly less expensive. Sorry about that, (laughs) y'all. I figured that since Uh, it came out last year, it would have been less expensive, but no. uh, What was it? The longest longest game I've played for Cass is probably Final Fantasy X. That was a real thing. Real humdinger. (laughs) 
don't do that. That that's like a good like 40, 50 hours legitimately. So Yeah, that game's a lot. So should we do any plugs or anything like that? We have a website. Oh yeah. Uh, we got an actual URL, so you can find uh, you can find this podcast on the Abnormal Mapping Network at readinggames.online, uh, which is what we do here. And uh, if you'd like to support the network specifically uh, and hosting costs, you can do that at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. You can get my Gundam, weekly Gundam podcast, The Great Gundam Project, uh, which I'm recording immediately after this, which I'm very oh, much man. looking forward to doing. Um, and uh, that will be great. I'm also on a ga- another game club that typically doesn't do visual novels called Abnormal Mapping with my friend Jackson. You can find that at thebestgame.club. And I'm on Twitter at em underscore being. All right. Uh, I usually handle the Scanline plugs, so I'll just knock those out real quick. Uh, me and Jen are both from Scanline Media, so we have some podcasts on there. Uh, if you like Dota 2, you're a weird person, but we have Bottle Crow for you. That's a good podcast. If you like fighting games, we have Neutral Game. If you like uh, anime, we have Oops All Anime. That's a patron-only podcast. And if you don't like the South Korean reality game show, The Genius, you should because it's incredible and you can watch it for free and you should wa- also listen to The Garnet Wager. Yeah, and the Patreon link is basically just patreon.com slash media for that mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh... uh hmm? no, I was just going to say, go ahead with, with your plug stuff, Jen. Oh yeah, I was... I was just going to say my plug stuff is basically exactly the same as yours, except I'm at JBU3 on Twitter, and you can you can occasionally see my work on Vice, and I mean, not Vice, uh, <laughs> Waypoint, which is a Vice site, and uh, Paste, and places like that, but yeah. Uh, and if you want to hang out with all of us, uh, we're on the Abnormal Mapping Discord, which uh, you can find if you just go to the website. Uh, there's a link now on the actual website. Like, we're adults who know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hang out with us. We're cool. We're, That's we're, all I've got. We're okay. <laughs> we get by. Yeah, I just want to give a final shout out to both my, both of my co-hosts for agreeing to sit down and do this extra long podcast about a series that... I like a lot and just to talk honestly about some of its problems I I I feel like more I feel like a lot of critique doesn't really go into series as a whole sometimes or if it's a very plot heavy thing they try and talk around it so a, a general audience can read it essentially so having a chance to talk about something more in depth is a reason why I started this podcast and I think that we should, I I guess, I'm glad that we get to do it, and I hope we do a lot more, hopefully, shorter stuff. Yeah. Well said, I think. All right. And uh, I guess that's it for us, and catch you later. Peace out. Poo-hoo-hoo. <laughs>